0: On a Thursday, Buckeye Talk, this was going to be a recruiting pod, and now it's not. It's a recruiting pod in another way because they've got to go recruit an offensive line coach, and I think they're making a change at offensive line coach in maybe large part because of recruiting. Greg Studrawa will not return next season for Ohio State after 60 years as the offensive line coach. Nathan Baird, what do we think of that?
1: Not a shock, obviously. We we knew this was on the table as a, a possible move, as we had talked about before. We thought that of all of the offensive coaches, this was the one where there was maybe most likely to be a change, partially due to what you've already referenced, which is the lack of like real thump I guess in the recruiting especially in this most recent class and then also performance issues from this past season when they thought that they should have one of the best offensive lines in the country and it seemed like that came up short in some pretty big games so uh, not a complete shock that he's not coming back in whatever capacity
0: Stephen how related to recruiting do you think this is
2: 50 percent I mean that's the bulk of your job as an assistant coach is how well you can recruit. So 50% of it has to be that because no matter how bad the performance might be on the field, if there's reason for optimism coming down the, the timeline here, you can probably deal with it as soon as it's the performance is bad. And you don't necessarily have, you know, this like rush of talent coming in. It's like, you can't, you can't deal with that anymore. So it's probably 50% of why he's no longer here.
0: We don't think it's 90%.
1: I don't know if it's 90, but I think it's
2: more than yeah. 50.
0: Because my question is, was the offensive line bad this
2: year? I mean, they weren't. You know how we used to discuss CJ in, in, in games where it's like he wasn't bad, but he wasn't good either. It was like that because he didn't get sacked a lot until they actually faced the team with a pass rush. And then he got sacked four times. They couldn't run the ball when they absolutely needed to run the ball, especially in the red zone this year. And so it's. And this is not the first year that's happened. It happened in 2018. It's happened in some years before. It's They're not – it's not always elite offensive line, but it's decent enough to not, not get in the way. So that's why I said 50% and not maybe 75%.
1: I think you would look at important games this year and see red zone inefficiency, and I think in those – there was a correlation between red zone inefficiency and how well they ran the ball in those games, whether that was Nebraska, whether that was Penn State, whether that was Michigan – And I think that that is a part of why he's no longer the offensive line coach here.
0: What offensive linemen do we think played? I don't know if I want to say significantly, but below their capabilities this year.
1: I think that's a fair question to ask.
0: So I guess, like, because it's one of those things it's like, okay, there's who you bring in, there's how the individual guys play, and then there's like how you play as a unit, right? I mean, I guess. And, and a lot of two and three are kind of the same, but I mean, I'm just trying to think of like, so like in 2020, like Harry Miller kind of had a rough year as a first year starter, right? Which we sort of all acknowledged all along the way. That's a five-star guy, first year starter. That happens to a lot of guys the first time you're starting, especially when you're young, maybe it doesn't go great, but, but tell me if I'm wrong. I didn't feel like during the course of the year, when we talked about Nicholas Petit-Frayer, Thayer Munford, Luke Whippler, Paris Johnson, DeWan Jones, and Matthew Jones, that along the way there were a lot of times we like, man, that guy just seems like he's having a tough time. I don't know. Maybe I don't pay attention enough. Like they, they couldn't block Aiden Hutchinson, right? And they couldn't block David Ojabo. And that, that was a thing. But that was also Michigan. And that was a thing. That's why I feel like it's 90% recruiting. Because I do think along the way, and I've joked about here over the years, I mean, Ed Warner hasn't DM'd me in three years, but by the end, Ed Warner was mad at me because I was pointing out some of the recruiting shortcomings on the offensive line. And he was making the point that like, offensive line recruiting is really... Your you're rolling the dice a lot because it's hard to tell where guys are in their development. And he was sending me stats about how many offensive line recruits miss. And like it's not exactly the same as maybe recruiting skill positions where you can get a better sense of guys. But Ed Warner, I thought, always developed guys pretty well. And again, in the end, I thought Ed was a good offensive line coach. I thought he was a bad offensive coordinator. So I do think, I guess maybe Stephen, I would agree with your point on this. I mean, there's clearly that for an offensive line coach, there's the recruiting side and there's the development side. If you're not recruiting that great, the development almost needs to be perfect. And as soon as the recruiting really becomes an issue, when the development goes from like great to good, then you're snowballing. And so I guess I guess I would say maybe when you looked at the guys on this offensive line, who again are like a five-star in Nicholas petit Frere. Um, a really highly ranked guy in Luke Whippler, a five-star in Paris Johnson, sort of a lower-rated guy, but who had great talent, was a four-year starter in Thayer Munford, and then sort of like the ultimate diamond in the rough in Dewan Jones. You don't look, and Matthew Jones is a top 100 guy. You don't look at the starters this year and say recruiting failures doomed this year's offensive line. You wouldn't say that. They had a lot of good players on the offensive line. Maybe you would say, the development wasn't a hundred out of a hundred maybe. And then when you look down the line at recruiting, you get worried. And then if you're starting to question the development at all, I guess maybe you get here, but I still think it's when you look to the future, which we've done on this podcast a lot with the offensive line and you see what's coming and you think that's not good enough. I think that's why this happened, which is why maybe it's between 50 and 90, but I think it's higher than 50
2: because it's, To the point of the development, they as I said, they were good, not great this year, and because of what's coming and what's not coming, it can only go down from here, and you have to fix that immediately.
1: I guess, Doug, without looking, how many of Ohio State's starting offensive linemen would you say? Would you guess graded eighty or higher for the season by PFF?
0: Eighty is really high, though, is it not? Eighty is like a very, very high threshold. No, is Um, is uh, seven.
2: 80 is pretty high.
1: 80 is 80 makes you like, I think 80 is like all conference level. Okay. So if it's 80, can I, what I say two, one, Dewan Jones, 86.6. Actually, I'm sorry. Matthew Jones also 83.7. So he wasn't even technically one of the yeah. starters. Most of the year. Then Paris Johnson, 79.1 Luke Whipler, 78.6 Nicholas Petitfrere Frere, 78.5 and Thayer I- Munford, 73.7.
0: So it's how many guys graded 80, which is a super high level. Two of the six did, and then three of the others were 78 or better. Yeah. And, then, and then the guy who's, who was the lowest guy?
1: Thayer Munford? Munford, 73.7.
0: Again, who's like a four-year starter. Nobody's like, all right, who was a four-year starter playing a position he hadn't played before. See, that's the thing. Like, I don't think you would look at that. I know the PFF college stuff, as we talked about, is not as comprehensive as the NFL stuff. Right. I don't know that you would look at any of those grades and be like, whoa, better fire the offensive line
1: coach, right? That's not what it is. No, but I think that the recruiting that we're talking about, in addition to, so if, if you think that those PFF grades look good for them, and again, we've talked before about how, how much noise there can be in that, then we already read off back after the game, what the PFF grades were after the Michigan game. And they just got yes. absolutely manhandled in the most important game of the year. I'm just saying that I think that performance was enough of an issue that it could be the thing that pushes us across the line beyond just being the recruiting issues. If you felt like you were on the fence, if the recruiting issues alone were going to be enough, I think that Michigan game made this an easier decision.
0: Let me ask this, though say the offensive line had played well, maybe not dominated, but played well against Michigan. And then Ohio State went and played Georgia and had a similar thing happen that had Michigan happen to Michigan. Like they they lose to Georgia pretty handily. Do you think this move still could have happened? Because I think it could have. Because we were talking about, will Stud be back before they lost to Michigan? And the reason we were talking about, will Stud be back was because of recruiting. Coupled with he had back surgery and is it just getting, maybe is it just time for something? But it was mostly a recruiting conversation. I guess if the point is, did a bad game against Michigan push it over the top? Yes, I don't think anybody w- would say that helped studs cause, but also I think it might've gotten over the top anyway, based almost entirely on recruiting. Okay, so we agree.
1: No, yeah, I agree. <laughs> I, I agree with you that it's more than 50% recruiting. I'm just saying that that I think there were performance issues this season as well in, in most important games.
0: I also think it is... Not a terrible thing to freshen up the offensive staff, right?
2: And we off don't, the urban tree a little bit. I mean,
0: point. off off the like hire anybody new other than Ryan Day replacing yeah. himself. I mean, he he yes. has it's the it's the it's it's the exact it's, Ryan Day's entering year four, and his entire offensive staff is all guys he inherited. So, like at some point, mm-hmm. I I don't know if in college football and something like this, I agree with change for the sake of change, I don't disagree with it. So I don't think it's fair to be like, you know what? You're doing a pretty good job, but man, I just feel like I need to fire somebody. Like, I don't, I don't, I mean, that's how I would be if I were a boss, but I'm not saying, I don't think that's what happened here. And I don't think that's necessarily what should happen. But if you go through and say, okay, Brian Hartline's been here with Ryan Day the whole time. Well, he's great. He's staying. Tony Alford's been here the whole time. Okay. He's doing a good job. He's staying. Kevin Wilson's been here the whole time. Okay. Well, you know, He's an important sort of co-coordinator with Ryan Day and calling this offense. He's been around the block. He's staying. Corey Dennis doesn't really count. And then the other guy's stud. It's like it's stud, right, Stephen? I mean, if you are getting a freshen, it's stud. And I think, again, in a, in a, if there was any kind of close call, I think the staff dynamics would lean against keeping stud when you got to a point like this,
2: it's also by this point, he's the only one that his departure is more of a day decision than the individual's decision. Because obviously, Tony offered, I mean, the Colorado State job, if he wanted to go take that, there's he had an opportunity to do it. You know, Brian Hartline, we just had conversations about where he could be headed in his career is Kevin Wilson ever going to be a head coach at any level? That's a good conversation every single year. And then, like, Corey Dennis is still young and eventually going to want to, to go branch out on his own, even if he's not doing it this year. And so that's just another point. And if anybody's going to be off of the staff within the first four years of Ryan Day's tenure here, it's going to be Greg Sidrawa.
0: All right, we'll take a quick break, come back, talk a little more about this, talk about where they might go from here next on Buckeye Talk. All right, a little more context on stud. Um, Join the staff in 2016. Kind of a weird crossover moment here for Ohio State because Ed Warner was the initial offensive line coach for Urban Meyer, hired from Notre Dame. Ed Warner was the offensive line coach in uh, 12, 13, and 14. When Tom Herman leaves, they hire... um, they promote, they hire Tim Beck to replace Tom Herman, and they promote Ed Warner. So Ed Warner in 2015 is still the offensive line coach, but he's now, he's also the co-coordinator with Tim Beck, who was the quarterback's coach. So for that one year, Warner was co-coordinator and offensive line coach. Then they were like, that's too much. The offensive line is too important. And to also be like, spending a lot of your week coming up with the game plan and doing the heavy lifting on that. That's too much. So they bumped Tim Hinton who had been, uh, the tight ends coach. They bumped him to an administrative staff position, which his wife did not very, like very much. And she went on social media and talked about that. And it was it's a little remarkable to me that Tim Hinton has remained at Ohio state in that staff position. Cause he basically got shoved aside because they needed to make the numbers work, but that's how that worked and they bumped Warner from offensive line coach in 2016 to tight ends coach to lessen his load so he could focus more on play calling and they brought in Stud to be the offensive line coach in 2016 and then for 2017 Warner and Beck were gone and then that's when you get Ryan Day and Kevin Wilson but Kevin Wilson Kevin Wilson actually has a history of being an offensive line coach but he comes here obviously he had gone on been an offensive coordinator, been a head coach. He comes here and is then the tight ends coach slash offensive coordinator and tight. And then Tim Hinton still does a lot of tight ends coaching. So that's how stud got here. And stud got here because he had an association with urban Meyer stud was at Maryland before he came here, but he had been with urban Meyer at Bowling green. He was sort of part of one of the, uh, you know, sort of like the, he was one of the initial urbanites when urban Meyer became a head coach. And, um, Then went from Bowling Green to LSU, was actually uh, had a OC title at LSU for a while, too. Then went to Maryland, then came to Ohio State. So I think at the time it was one of those when you're trying to guess like, hey, maybe they'll move guys around. Stud was a guy you could have guessed because it's like, hey, if they need to move some stuff around, lighten the load on Warner, who's an offensive line coach they could get? It's like, I don't know, a guy who already worked for Urban who's been at big time programs. Yeah, him. And then it was Stud. And then Stud was here. And Stud's like a lovable guy with a gruff voice. And I think is like a very nice person, and also um, from Ohio, doesn't hurt. Yeah, when when Urban Meyer was talking about like practically the whole staff has Ohio roots. Greg mm-hmm. Strawa was uh, right at the heart of that. Played at Bowling Green, was an offensive tackle at Bowling Green. Mm-hmm. So I think Stud made a, a lot of sense coming in. Right when you try to play the who's next game, he made a lot of sense as a higher then. Um, and I also think it makes sense probably that that this separation is coming. Does this – what does this tell us about Ryan Day, though, Nathan? Does this – that Ryan Day has made this move? I did think – I mean, it's one of those things. Ryan Day is one of the offensive assistants. He comes in, and he keeps all the offensive assistants. And he sort of revamps the entire defensive staff. And it's like, okay, like – I'm not saying that the offensive staff deserved to be fired when Ryan Day took over for Urban Meyer, but it was like, all right, you don't want to get rid of your friends. I mean, for real. Like, you were – The guys that you didn't know as well, they were in trouble. But also the defense wasn't wasn't as good. The defense was a huge problem in 2018. So based on performance, it made sense. But it also happily coincided with you don't have to fire any of your friends. And now he has moved on from a guy that he worked with as peers for a couple years before taking over as a head coach. What's our read on Ryan Day here?
1: Well, to go back to that real quick, correct me if I'm wrong, but on the defensive side, it seems like there were more like urban buddies at the time too and studrava might have been the only example of that as much on offense like i don't think of like kevin wilson and brian hartline and tony alford as being like buddies of of urbans the same way as like for instance bill davis greg Schiano.
0: nobody's as much of a buddy as urban meyers i understand davis, so. i understand
1: <laughs> but so so i think that 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 was part of that dynamic too maybe a little bit
0: no, I think that's true. I mean, Tony Alford had a little bit of an association with Urban through the Colorado State connection with Earl right. Bruce,
1: and there's some things there.
0: Um, but uh, point
2: taken, yes. Point taken. Also, the offense was coming off it's you know most yeah. expo- one of its most explosive versions of itself in program history. Right. I mean, it just kind of you know when but, that it, that's the epitome of if it ain't broke, don't
1: fix it. But but this offense is coming off of a pretty explosive season too, and I think mm-hmm. that what that tells me about Ryan Day is that even though uh, this was, I think Nicholas Perdue Fair was the the sixth first-team All-American across five players that Studrawa has had here. You know, you've had a couple of Remington Trophy uh, winners. You've had um, the, um, of high draft picks. You know, Josh Myers, guy who didn't win any of those awards, but it was a, a second-round pick. You know, they've had plenty of individual success in these six years, and they're coming off of a year of real team success as far as moving the ball and scoring points. And still, I think within that, he said, But by our standard, whether that's recruiting, whether that's performance, that's not good enough. So he's not afraid to make a change in the face of success, I guess, to to kind of look within accomplishment and parse whether or not that really is at Ohio State standard, whatever he sees that as being.
0: Again, which is why I think it's so much recruiting. It wasn't success in recruiting on the offensive line the last two years. So, Mm -hmm. like, again, it's like, what is success? Is success winning games? what is success in college football? Is it just winning games? It's like, yeah, it's just winning games. However you get there is however you get there, but that's all it is. That's
2: all that matters is winning games. Sustained winning. Yeah, and that's which they where have. The rec- which is where the recruiting comes into play. Which is why
0: it's all recruit. I mean, it's really, 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 really a, a lot of recruiting. But because you can point, because I mean, if you, I mean, I guess do we? I don't know, you can get the evals every year, right? Because the evals are public record and you can put in for them.
1: Yeah, but they don't say the, the actual written evals don't really tell us much of
2: anything.
0: But sometimes it says like where you can improve, and I would imagine I wouldn't. I mean, if,
1: if it said like where you can improve, I'm sure
2: you could not yeah. let. It's gonna say you could not let J.C. Latham go to Tuscaloosa.
1: I can I can find last year's real quick if you want me to. So
0: I mean, it's one of those things. We can even just do like a fake evaluation. But Stephen, that's that's where it would be.
2: What does this tell you about Ryan Day, Stephen? But whether it's this one, whether it's the Jim Knowles thing, he he does the necessary and obvious thing here if there's an issue that – but with this one, I do think more than maybe the defensive stuff he's done, he was willing to do it before it really snowballed out of control. Because so far we're talking about two straight classes where Ohio State's offensive line recruiting hasn't necessarily been up to par and been what it should have been. And we're talking about the 2023 – class and that they might be worried about some offensive tackles and how the offensive line might shake out then well what if we're talking about a situation where you've had three straight cycles of this problem now and now you're asking okay what does 2023 look, look like what does 2024 look like what does 2025 look like because it's three straight years of that and so okay we'll say you lost jc latham to bama everybody loses something to bama at some point fine whatever it's a uh, COVID year, all this different stuff, I'll keep an eye on it and let's see if it improves the next year. And then it didn't improve the next year. Okay, you don't get three strikes here. You get two strikes. And, you know, Stud, he struck out. So I'll I'll applaud Ryan Day for doing what needed to be done. But as you kind of did when we were doing the Jim Knowles thing, this is also the obvious decision to make if anybody was going to get let go.
0: Do you think this is early or late in, like, when Stud could have been moved on from? Because, like, I, I'm i honestly not giving that much credit because I think you could have done it a year before. Like, just to give, like, a pass on the COVID recruiting, it felt like it reached an untenable stage, like, when they didn't get Zach Rice and when they didn't, they didn't land it, like, a big fish.
2: On yeah, the I, I, but even that's different. I, the Zach Rice thing was almost, they got him on campus, and it was kind of clear from the vibe that he wasn't coming. The J.C. Latham one was a lot more kind of, Okay, the momentum is all there for Ohio State. And then out of nowhere, within like two weeks, Alabama flipped everything. And so that's why maybe you can because momentum that happens in recruiting with Zach Rice, it it was very clear once they got him on campus that they never had a chance. And You can't be in a situation where you're Ohio State and you don't have any chance of landing a five star recruit.
0: Yeah, you're just being more generous with this. Like, I, I don't. I'm not giving, there's, I don't, I'm not, there's not a ton of credit to give here. I don't think of like Ryan Day, ruthless Ryan Day finally cuts ties with Craig's job. I thought, I mean, in the end, it, I felt like it almost would have been, I don't know what the word would be, Nathan, but like I, I, I to bring, to bring it back again, based on the recruiting and how important, how, you know, how much they value recruiting. I just really think I would we would have wondered like what's going on there. Right. No. I'd say this is on the back end of when this could have happened. I think this could have happened earlier. I almost can't imagine many coaches at a place like Ohio state doing one more year with the way things have gone in offensive line recruiting.
1: Right. I mean, I guess if you look back just a couple of years to what Tony Alford went through where they had, you know, obviously a one big cycle of misses, but it got fixed in the next cycle. And we just haven't seen that fix. I think that's the easiest way to put it. Right. Like there was a big miss. It was an obvious hole when we looked ahead to 2023 and looked at every position on the field and we're like, oh, man, like, look at what they could have there. Look at what they could have there. It was like stacking up every place, except we looked at the offensive line and we're like, oh, that's kind of a hole. Right. And that, I think, um, amplifies. What has the shortcomings that have been here that, again, if you're it's not just judging it against the standard of the Big Ten or college football in general. When you judge it against just the Ohio State standard, it was coming up
2: short. I think using offer kind of, you know, you know, kind of makes my point a little bit, though, as well. It's like, you know, offer had a year where he missed some guys and they didn't just let him go because he had a year where he failed miserably at running back recruiting because he did fix it the very next year to draw what had a bad year of offensive line recruiting and then he didn't fix it the very next year and that's why he's gone and Tony Alford's not
0: but I think there were questions about studs recruiting before that it's not like Stud had one bad year let's look at the last three years of offensive line recruiting 2020 Paris Johnson right who's in the backyard and they had to fight to keep Paris Johnson number nine uh, overall recruit in the country Luke Whippler, number 108 good good very good am I gonna look I mean that's a good that's a good recruit who then started for mm. you pretty early and then four offensive linemen who are 463 or lower that we covered at the time that they were like, OK, well, they're, they're got to take some shot on some lower guys. It's a lot. Of, it's all Ohio and Midwest guys. Grant Tuton, Josh Fryer, Jacob James, Trey LaRoe, 463, 510, 852 and not ranked. OK. 2021, Donovan Jackson, top 25 guy. Very good. Very good. Very good. Ben Crisman, 124, Zen Michalski, 314. Michalski, kind of a late grab when they miss on the other guys. And then 2022, uh, Tegra Shibola, 114, good, but in state guy. George Fitzpatrick, 329, Avery Henry, not ranked. So, like.
2: And then most recently, Carson Heisman, 164. All right.
0: So, uh, you know, like, it wasn't a one year blip. Alford was more like, getting, I thought was like kind of getting good guys, doing pretty well. And then like had a big bad year and then recovered from it. I thought stud was more like in decline. And this happened too. I mean, it's you, you, you see the results on the offensive line as much as it, yes, Ed Warner it is can be a crap shoot at times at the end of Jim Bowman's tenure at Ohio state, when people were going crazy, Oh my God, people were going crazy about Jim Bowman, personal attacks on Jim Bowman. I mean, their offensive line recruiting fell off a cliff. They were just getting like random Ohio kids in the thousands or whatever, like 800. That was like just what they did. Yeah, And they didn't have even like a Luke Whipler who would like pop up, you know, like when they, when they got Taylor Decker, Ed Warner was at Notre Dame. And I think Taylor Decker was committed to Notre Dame or was, at least was very interested in Notre Dame. And and, and and like, and he's from Ohio and Ohio state was like nowhere to be found basically in the Taylor Decker commitment. And then, Urban Meyer hires Ed Warner and like they get Taylor Decker like right away. And it was like, Oh man, like to get a guy like, and I was just just a good Ohio kid that Ohio state at that point, like wasn't getting offensive line recruiting in decline. Nathan is a, if we wanted to do like a list of like 10 things that you don't want to have happen to a college football program, offensive line recruiting falling off is on that list. I, and that, I think that, the argument we're having here is how steep was the decline? How long was the decline? Nobody's arguing that it wasn't a decline, but that again, again, we're just saying the same stuff over and over again. All right. So Ryan Day makes this decision. We'll give him credit. I don't know how much credit, how big is this higher for Ryan Day, Nathan Bird?
1: I think it's pretty significant because I think you're hitting kind of on an important point in that you don't want to, you 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 want to get it in the decline not in the chasm you like you want to catch this problem when it's when the slip starts not when it's bottomed out i don't think ohio state has like bottomed out in terms of offensive line performance but it definitely needs to return to a place of impact in recruiting to give itself a chance in in some of these higher level uh, scenarios by the way the evaluations that were released last year were actually for 2019 so it's, it's, it's all that is always one year behind. But Day had featured um, recruiting creativity as something for Studrawa to work on. And that was bef- going into last year.
0: And as you said, this is the stuff that they know is going to be public. Right. So they're not going to write, you stink at this on the evaluation. Yes. So it's like, this is the nicest way of saying it. And that's still saying the recruiting is not good. enough. So.
1: Right. And, you know, they still say, you know, um, some of the positives were even included things about recruiting and um, accountability for the unit and the, you know, um, any recruiting relationships. So there were things in there, even from a positive standpoint, from recruiting, I think it's maybe just, you know, kind of sealing the deal because they were, they kept coming in second on a lot of, or second or third on a lot of really high level guys. And like we talked before in some other scenarios, we talked about it with safety recruiting in this past cycle, right? Like, you that sometimes happens, but it kind of can't happen repeatedly. You've got to eventually figure out who you can land and, and get that job done. Um. So, I mean, we certainly are not
0: in a position to like start throwing out names because this just happened. And it's not like we're uh, experts on every offensive line coach in America. What Steven, what characteristics do we think Ryan Day is looking for? And and if just like a butt kicker in recruiting and then whatever else is whatever else, I, I, I think that might be a fine answer and the right
2: answer to this question. Um, maybe a younger guy because that might help with the butt kicking and recruiting a little bit if it's a, a younger voice who could also you know, develop still to continue the development here, because the development, they weren't great, great this year, but the development is still going on at Ohio state, pretty, at a pretty high level from an offensive line standpoint, especially the starting group. So can you develop the guys? continue to develop the guys because this offensive line this year should be pretty good. Maybe he's younger. So that helps with the, the uptick in recruiting. Um, but then also in the name of, you know, knowing people, I think it's time for like Ryan. Yes, sometimes you need to go out of your comfort zone and hire somebody like you did with Jim Knowles, but it does seem like this would be a perfect opportunity for Ryan Day to kind of open up his Rolodex here as now entering year four as a head coach and see if he can use some of these relationships for outside hires to go get somebody from another program.
1: Yeah, just get the Jim Knowles of offensive line coaches. Uh, As much as
0: I don't like... spending a gazillion dollars on assistant coaches and i think they're too highly paid already uh i have gotten the impression over time that ohio state wouldn't mind a little more money in the assistant coach pool and i'll be curious to see where they go with something like this because um you know stud wasn't in the million dollar club nathan do we have what stud was making i you know that that they could just go throw money at somebody good. You can either be create again, it's like recruiting creativity. It's like you can be creative in your hire, or you can just take an obvious guy and pay him more and make him come. So, I do think that that could you could just get a guy who is happy where he is, but is going to get a substantial raise. There's no real questions about him. He's established. I do think you have to be careful, Stephen, and I, I agree with the sentiment. I think you have to be careful with age. I do think like energy, because actually I think you, you get sued. It's like, hey, what happens? like, ah, oh, we got rid of this guy because he was too old and we wanted to hire somebody younger. I actually think that's illegal.
2: They're going so, to have a staff full of people under 50 and the people go, hey, does Ryan Day have a problem with old people?
0: Yeah. I mean, so you want you want balance yeah. to your staff, right? You want balance in um, experience. You want balance in expertise. You want balance in geography. I mean, just you want balance in a lot of ways. And you do want I don't think anybody wants a staff of 10 guys who are 60 and nobody wants a staff of 10 guys who were 30. So you, you need balance to your staff. Stud to me, listen, this is one of those things. A guy loses his job and best electric regs to draw. He did a very good job here for an extended period of time. He helped Ohio state football, but also this is the business. So, you know, it's okay. He'll be fine. He was one of those guys to me sometimes that you could tell when they were Kicking the coaches in the butt to be more active on social media, because like Greg Studrawa like wouldn't tweet for like three months and then he'd tweet like nine times in two days. It's like, oh, they had a meeting. <laughs> they had a meeting about tweet more. And so, like Carrie Combs and Greg Studrawa are around the same age. But, you know, from a public-facing energy standpoint, I mean, nobody, right? Steven, you know what I mean? Like it's it's sort of like. Like front-facing enthusiasm, things that recruits can relate to, excitement, projecting your excitement around the program. You can't just kind of show up and do your job. Now, here's the thing, too. Some guys can. And actually, Kevin Wilson tweets a lot. And this is not uh, on your list of responsibilities as, as, as an assistant coach. Tweeting is not in and of itself way up there. But I think it is one of the things that we can try to grasp onto is like some representation of something. But like Kevin Wilson, he's there to help scheme it up, right? So he's got to recruit, he's got to do some other stuff. But really, he's he, he's got a whole separate thing that is not related to energy. It's related to like scheme it up. Jim Knowles, I don't even know. Like he,
2: Jim Knowles ke- tweeted
0: out, tweeted out the,
2: himself, and yeah. He's the defensive version of Kevin Wilson, basically. They're not there. More so. More so. Yeah, yeah. obviously more important because there's no Ryan Day of the defense. But the idea of they are there for football reasons while the other assistant coaches are, yes, football reasons, but also development and recruiting, those guys have to have some personality to them a little bit. And the other assistant coaches do.
0: I think anybody who's not directly involved with play calling, I think recruiting is the most important part of your job. And then I think you can read front-facing enthusiasm as a slight minor indicator of recruiting acumen, Nathan, in the absence of what else can we look at other than results, other than results of who did you get? But I do think when you look at sort of the projection of that, what Heartline does, even what Larry Johnson, I mean what Larry Johnson does, what Kerry Combs does, right? What Tony Alford does, what those guys do, stud just didn't quite do that. And I think we can read something slightly into that. So I do think, I think recruiter, I think great recruiter is the number one thing on the list for what they're looking for in the replacement here.
1: Yeah. Uh, by the way, uh, 700,000 was Stu Drawa's last contract and it expired at the end of this month. So it's not like they're firing in mid contract. It's more just like they're not bringing him back next season. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that absolutely. You've got to go find somebody who can, can connect. I mean, um, you have an infrastructure here with recruiting that a lot of other places don't have, you're supposed to be starting this process with a leg up and you need to take advantage of it. Right. And again, it's, it's the standard that you're seeing at a lot of other positions here at Ohio state, and they've got to follow through, uh, in these other spots. And, uh, It it just when it when it lingers the way it has and it just it kind of glares at you, I think, is when it becomes a problem. And so they've got to find a way, probably starting with this next class to land that sort of impact player that they frankly have have so for so long they were getting. Even under Stoudrava, I mean, you're getting Nicholas petit Frere, getting Paris Johnson. It's not like there haven't been recruiting successes here But there were extenuating circumstances that helped both of those situations. A guy from Ohio, guy from Greg Shano's backyard or whatever, like they need uh, they kind of are overdue for one of those. Like they had White Davis. I guess that counts. But they're overdue for another one of those. They're overdue for another White Davis.
2: But even with that one, it's Urban yeah, Meyer had Ohio to go. T- yeah, it's not, not even the Ohio Connexions. It's just Urban Meyer had to go tell Greg Shadrawa, hey, you need to sit down the street and make sure Wyatt Davis doesn't go visit Washington. You know, that's that I mean, Greg Shadrawa should have just like done that anyway. He's just, he just needed to have that initiative to make sure that that five star future All-American doesn't go anywhere. And it's been it's been a while since. It's been a while since Ohio State got an offensive line recruit because simply Greg Shudrawa was just awesome at his job.
0: Oh, I think I think that is fair. Like, Paris Johnson's here. Donovan Jackson has Ohio connections. Tegra is here. Nicholas petit Frere went to high school with Greg Shiano's kids. Like, what is the skin on the wall of, like, again, and, and why it's in my book. I mean, like, why it just showed up on campus sort of on his own. Urban Meyer said, get in a golf cart. Urban Meyer usually didn't do the, t- the tours personally. And Urban Meyer drove Wyatt Davis and his dad around campus. And like on the drive home, Wyatt Davis was like, I want to go to Ohio State. <laughs> and then Urban Meyer said, <laughs> On Saturday, go to California and block and box out every other school in the country. And Stud was like, Cool, I got it. So like, Stud did that, but but again, like Wyatt Davis, and, and and again, Stud was involved with that. And Stud talked to me for that. I mean, like Stud was involved. They they had an idea. This kid was interested. They looked at the film. Stud said, "Yeah, let's get this guy." And so, I mean, again, we can't act like Stud didn't have anything to do with it. But I do just think it was time. I do just like playing this game. Do we take one break yet or two? Do we do the second break yet? I can't remember. We're we did only taken one. Yeah, we're one. only taking one. All right, so the, let's play. Name that next offensive line coach. Next on Buckeye Talk. All right, Doug Landry, 614-350-3315 for the tech subscriptions. At some point, point we will reach the point where everybody's heard of the tech subscriptions and you're either in or you're out. And then at that point, when we reach that point, I'll stop giving out the number. So what we might individually go through, what we might have to do is have our office call everybody who's ever listened to Buckeye Talk and say, have you heard the text numbers said on the air? And then are you in or are you out? And then we'll stop doing it. So well, five, well, six years of this, and then I'll stop.
1: But you can't stop this machine. People are jumping on the Buckeye Talk bandwagon every day. Newton, new, we're, we're 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 branching out to new folks every day. We can't take the risk that they haven't heard those ten numbers.
0: I do feel like I mean we want new people for sure. Sometimes I think when people like if you listen to us for the first time and you think like what is this? Like is this what what is this? Is this a football show? What what are these people doing? Because Um, We grow on you. We grow on you You know, I don't know at this point what our first impression is like, but we're like a fungus. So um, I ask some people start to hate us over time, too. We'll acknowledge that. We'll probably hate us because they ain't us. (laughs) No, I don't. (laughs) Nobody wants to. I I (laughs) I can remember the first time, Stephen, that I heard that phrase. Um, it was my first year covering Ohio state and the basketball team. I don't know what we were doing. It was like, we were with the basketball team maybe when they were getting their bid to the NCAA tournament or something, but JJ Sullinger, um, Jared's older brother, like ran out of the room yelling that. And I was like, did he invent that? And it was like, no, I'm sure
1: people say that phrase, but I was like, "Must say,
2: have you not seen that movie?
1: Which movie is that? The Interview. Oh, okay. Well, The Interview came out after what he's talking about. This was like 2005. Yeah. So so anyway,
0: that that phrase, uh, I always think of J.J. Sullinger running out of the room, enthusiastically shouting that when I think of uh, anybody saying that phrase. Okay. I have a guy that I looked up. Do you guys ever follow this stuff? (laughs) I don't know who it is. There's somebody who, I mean, he gets attention for it who just will tweet out like the 50 best blank in college football. Yeah, yeah. And it's always it's always like very color coded. It looks like some like a third grader with like got their colored pencils out. was like, I'm going to make a chart of the 50 best safety coaches in America. And then they tweeted out. And then like everybody in football is like, oh, my God, how dare you say I'm 17th? And it's like, dude, the guy is like, seriously, just like getting out. A list of names and throwing a dart at a board. <laughs> so, but because who knows? Because it's like, oh, oh, it's, I, like I googled like best offensive line coaches in America, and this guy's chart came up, and Greg Strudraw was third. It's like, well, how are they going to place Ohio, Ohio State, must replace third best offensive line coach in America? It's like, okay. So it's just a list of names. So I just started going through the list of names, and anybody can do this. And basically, anybody could do this podcast. There's a guy named Jeff Myers who is the offensive line coach at Iowa state. He is from Maslin. He played at Toledo uh, with Matt Campbell. He started off then at Toledo. He's right around 30 or 31, I guess he was a three-year starter at Toledo from 2012 to 2014. And he went from Toledo to uh, Iowa state with Matt Campbell. And uh, he is a person whose name is on that color coded list. So it's like, Name the guy at a power five school with Ohio ties who would probably jump at a chance to coach at Ohio state. And, uh, you know, there's a name. I think they could go in a million different directions. And again, I'll be really curious to see if they try to throw money at this, if the guy coming in makes more than stud because, the hire is a little closer to a Jim Knowles kind of thing where they're legitimately like, I just identify like, everybody knows this guy is the offensive line coach at Mississippi state. And he's one of the best guys in the country. He's been around forever, but he only, he makes 800 at Mississippi state. And he said he'd come for a million. So we gave him a million. I'm curious if that might happen, Nathan. Um, Do you think it's more likely that it's something like that? Do you think it's more likely it's sort of like a younger up and comer? Uh, Do you think it's going to have somebody who does have, ties to Ryan Day and his background or do you think it's going to be sort of a just best guy available Jim Knowles kind of hire what's your gut here
1: yeah I know I said the Jim Knowles of offense before but I do think the situation is a little bit different with Knowles you needed someone with the gravitas to come in and like set a new sort of paradigm for this whole defense right whereas I think in this case you do need some specific talents that you're trying to re-infuse into the, the program in general. Um, a guy whose name had been out there, in fact, a texter, I think, had asked me about it last week, is Justin Fry, who's the offensive line coach at UCLA. He's younger. He's basically Day's age, and he's worked with Day a couple places. I think he worked with him both at Temple and Boston College. And uh, so that wouldn't surprise me, something like that, where, yes, it's, it's where Day kind of goes into his own connections, but it's not just promoting from the, the QC group, which I think would be, um, which hasn't necessarily worked. And I think would be another mistake if they tried to go that route here. Um, so it could be somebody like that. That's kind of in the middle, right? Somebody who has been a coach now for a while is established, but not that old and has some connections today, but also is if, if they think they're having success where they are and could maybe, you know, has the he's a guy who played in Indiana, but now he's got West Coast connections, like something like that could make sense to me.
0: And is currently employed by her, by Ryan Day's mentor.
1: Oh yeah, oh, that too. Oh yeah, that too. Hey Chip, you got a guy.
0: Uh, Stephen, let me ask this: What do you think of the chances of Kennedy Cook elevating to this? Kennedy Cook is—is is he? I don't even know. Is he quality control? What is he's the he's the sort Brad of assistant. assistant assistant offensive line coach? It feels to me like again that's a pretty big jump but Corey Dennis did it but Ryan Day also coaches the position that Corey Dennis coaches it feels like to me that's too big of a jump for grad assistant to become a full-time assistant coach at Ohio State but I just wanted to see what you thought I think I know you've you've I think praised Kennedy Cook at times in the past and he very well he probably does deserve praise just as a matter of does he you know is he ready to make a jump like this
2: yeah, he does a really good job, and the recruits love him. I don't. It's not quite as sim, as similar to Corey Dennis and Parker Fleming, though, because as much as we hated those hires, they'd at least been doing the grad assistant quality control roles for a while. And so, whether it was at Ohio State or some other program, it was probably time for them to be an assistant coach somewhere. This is only Kennedy Cook's second year as a grad assistant, and so he's just got he's just got to put some more time in before he's ready to be. Uh, um, assistant coach anywhere because I know one of the uh, quality and control guys from the linebacker room just got a job at Nevada as an assistant as a special teams co- coordinator and linebackers coach for those guys so it's out there for him I think he's got a bright future it's just way too early in his career to be throwing his name out there with an assistant coaching job anywhere
0: yeah that's former Michigan linebacker Joe Bolden who moved on to Nevada who'd been on, on Ohio State staff uh for a couple of years that's again how it's supposed to work that's how it's supposed to work with Corey Dennis he was going to be the quarterback's coach at Colorado State and they were like hold on what if we just jump you right to the top of the line here at Ohio State all right I think we've covered it we don't know I mean, what I mean it's been two hours since Grace has announced that coming back we don't know uh Nathan what do we need to add before we wrap this up
1: um, you know it, it is interesting timing i guess that this came right after they had finished signing day and that they even got a recruit or a new commitment you know within the past what 48 hours before this announcement comes out so that's interesting to me um what those guys were told about this situation heading into that or if they were if if, if they were locked in regardless i don't know that's kind of interesting to me
0: uh yeah no i mean like the system is designed to do that to sort of like uh yeah the timing of college football is just so off on all this stuff but the idea of like recruit a kid and then he signs and then the guy he was going to play for leaves a week within a week is although i guess those guys carson hinsman hasn't signed yet right he could he could back out of this
2: yeah he he won't sign until february 2nd but this is my understanding yeah, but to my understanding, he knew this was coming. He's not going anywhere.
0: To your understanding, like to, like finding out today, like he, he now knows it was coming, or did he know before?
2: This was it, There was an idea that Stud, Stud would not be his coach here.
0: When did you know that? Did you just learn that today, or did you know that before? Because we should have said that on the podcast if you knew that before.
2: No, I just found out today.
0: Okay, I just double-checked. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like, that's what oh, I'm saying. Carson. No, no, no.
0: no. Yeah, Carson Hinsman.
2: <laughs> Should, I, <doing> this, right? <laughs> Should I be breaking the news? Great, Carson Hinsman tells Cleveland.com that Greg yeah. Sudrawa will not be back. No, no, no. I just found it today.
0: Okay. All makes sense. Best luck to Greg Sudrawa. We know, again, he had the back issue this year. Um, he, he did a good job at Ohio State for much of his tenure here and was uh, part of a lot of success. Um, well-liked. It seems like always good with us. I will say, I just, I'm going to do one little rant here at the end. Cause anytime the podcast is a little bit short, I'm like, ah, I better stall, just get it to an hour for no apparent reason. Where do you guys stand on this? Cause this comes out, um, different beats do this. I think it's mostly pro beats. I don't know if any college beats do it or not, but it's like they give out an award for like the good guy award for the guy who's best with the media. And I hate that because I don't think that we should be like judging. Who's good with us or not? We're grateful for it. But like, who are we to say? I don't know. It feels like a weird thing to me. It feels like it's, it's helpful for fans when um, players and coaches talk to the media because we are conduits for the fans. But for us to then like grade you on it and be like, hey, here's an award for cooperating with us it's always odd to me. And if, and if anybody ever was like, Hey, let's start that on the Ohio state. beat," like, I would fight it. I just think it's an odd thing to award people. You can personally thank somebody and say, Hey man, that was really, you know, we really appreciate it. that. was a great interview that really is providing information for the people who care about Ohio state football, but I don't think they need a
1: plaque. Where are you on good guy awards? Nathan, you've been part of voting for one. I, I never have. No. I mean, you always have on your beat the people you talk about amongst each other as as being you know the, the good talkers or whatever I think it's maybe more important on a pro beat not important but it's almost more relevant on a pro beat at the college level it's so um it's so structured as to who you get to talk to and under what circumstances and etc etc and uh, and and people are just at such a different stage of their life I mean there's guys on this team that we hope they don't give us for interviews when we only have a few guys to talk to that week because they're not great interviews. But I don't necessarily judge them for that because there's guys who I think are, it just, they're uncomfortable. Like they just don't want to talk. If they're uncomfortable being the guy who is the spokesman for the team, I think that's okay. I think there's other guys who it's just not in their skill set to speak publicly. And I think that's perfectly fine too. And there's other guys who eat it up. And uh, I, so I, uh, I've never been involved in voting for it. I'm a little like you, a little bit uncomfortable with it because it's one of those things where like you get into a situation where it's like, Oh, well, tell us what we want to hear. And then we'll, um, we'll vote good things about you. I think that's dangerous.
0: Yeah. I do go up to guys probably multiple times a year when they are done speaking. And I will say like, Hey, like, thanks for that, you know, or whatever, or just like, just so, you know, like we're appreciative of when you give us that kind of time and, or, um, you know, I know that was probably not very fun for you, but what we appreciate you like standing in there and, and answering those questions. Like I, I will do that. And I do think you need to have relationships with people. And it's not that I'm against expressing appreciation for people in sports talking to the media. I, I really don't like the term good guy because a lot of times it's like the good guy word. It's like the implication that what makes you a good guy is whether you talk to reporters or not. And uh, as you said, Nathan, there are plenty of guys who are like good guys who just maybe don't have any interest in talking to reporters that much or aren't as good at it. And sometimes um, there are guys who talk, who love talking to the media and it's like, why do you love talking to the media so much? That, that really, that isn't often the case, but Sometimes, especially in the pros, it's like guys can really be doing it to, like, serve their own purposes. And it's like, I don't know if they need an award for that. So, Stephen, you ever vote for a good guy award? Do they have a Kent, Kent State uh, good guy award on the Kent State beat?
2: No, because everybody at Kent State would have qualified for the good guy award. It's Kent State football. They all talk and, and they want to ask you, hey, where can I read this at or where can I watch this at? So, no, they're all – everybody's a good guy.
0: You know? Yeah. No, it's a good thing. I th- it's, good for, it's good for fans and readers and listeners when the media and uh, the people on the team can sort of get along in a way that facilitates the exchange of information. I just don't know if you need a, an award for it. All right. Good luck to Greg Sudrawa. We'll certainly keep you guys informed about what's coming down the pike. Again, anybody want to guess, is this the last coaching move or no? Nathan?
1: Um, I would say no. No, probably. Steven
2: yeah I'd say no I think it's the last offensive coaching move but no it's not the last coaching move yeah I would also say no Nathan you pondering well it's just it's interesting
1: it's it's all just comes back to whether Kerry Combs wants to be here I think still does he want to be the secondary coach because if it does I mean then everything on defense is probably is, is taken care of right with Matt Barnes leaving numbers wise you're okay on defense I just I just don't know how he feels about that he will he didn't want to talk about it after the game so um but offensively I agree with Steven I think they're probably set unless somebody were to get a better offer to do something somewhere else at this point
0: yeah okay all right that'll do it we'll come back on Friday with something there's a lot of stuff going on we'll have another pod thanks to you guys for hanging in for this one for Nathan Baird and Steven Means I'm Doug Limerice and that was Buckeye Talk